Good morning. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Proverbs chapter 3 this morning. We're starting a brand new sermon series, summer sermon series uh, called Actually the Bible Doesn't Say That. What we're going to do is we're going to look at uh, every Sunday this summer different sayings or some thoughts or ideas over the next several weeks that are predominant in our culture, uh, but that can dangerously leak into our lives at times as Christians Uh, that people assume came from God's Word or come from God's Word, but the Bible never actually communicates that at all. And uh, maybe there's pieces of truth here or there, but we're going to break each of those things down and uh, seek to understand what the Bible actually says about uh, whatever that saying is. All right. So this uh, series is really, really important because it helps us remember and understand that just because something sounds true, just because something sounds wise, doesn't mean that it necessarily is. And so let's begin this morning with... Uh, One of the most predominant ideas in culture that can sometimes even creep into the lives of well-meaning Christians that we can latch onto or advice that we can give people. And it's a very small but very dangerous phrase. Just three words. Follow your heart. All right, we see that phrase stitched on pillows. You might have seen that on a shirt. Follow your heart with some glitter in the background. See it stamped on coffee mugs. You hear it in movies. You see the idea for sure in a lot of movies. I googled this week. I just searched movies about following your heart. Now, I kid you not, the first result was a Hallmark movie titled Follow Your Heart. <laughs> but we can't just pick on Hallmark movies as fun as that would be this morning. How many Disney movies promote the idea of following your heart? But it isn't just Disney movies. It's not just romantic movies. It's an idea that you find in almost any movie that you Watch. There's a scene somewhere where somebody needs some courage. Usually it's the, the hero of the movie, the main character who is facing a decision, needs some courage, and turns to a support character who gives them the advice that he needs to face the task at hand, follow your heart. A movie that immediately came to my mind as I was thinking about this was the comedy classic that probably should have got a few Oscars, in my opinion, Napoleon Dynamite, all right? Yeah. It's a really dumb movie, and I think it's really hilarious. Um, and, uh, and even Napoleon Dynamite, there's a scene at the end where Napoleon, who's this gangly, kind of outcast, nerdy high school kid, kind of has a Bob Ross haircut with some thick glasses, and he's there at the end of the movie. He's about to go out and dance uh, in front of the entire student body on behalf of his friend Pedro, who's running for class president, who's terrified backstage about going out and giving a speech in front of the student body, and he needs, Pedro needs a little help and inspiration. So Napoleon turns to him in that iconic scene and says, Pedro, do what I do. Follow your heart. And that's what Pedro needed to hear. And he goes out and delivers a speech and wins the day. That was the sage advice that he needed. Follow your heart. But in all seriousness... That's a phrase that many people in our culture, in real life, live by, and it's problematically leaked into the lives of a lot of Christians. And on one hand, you can understand it sounds very poetic, follow your heart. But this morning, what we're going to discover is that in reality, it's really bad anti-Christian advice to give, and it's really bad anti-Christian advice to take and try to live by as a Christian. So let's turn to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. You can stand as we read God's Word. And in these verses, we find some better advice as to what to do with our hearts. And so we're going to read this. Got a little work to do, and then we're going to work our way back to this text this morning and finish here. All right? Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Would you have a seat as I pray? God, I pray that you would 
teach us this morning, that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts. God, I pray that we would not come to your word this morning that is sufficient and complete and infallible and holy, trying to see what we want to see, Lord, but you'd show us what you want us to see. And we need your Holy Spirit to help us to do that. So, Lord, I pray that you would teach us as a body that's gathering together to worship you today, Lord, that we'd submit ourselves um, to your truth and that you'd change us, that we'd walk out of this place looking more like Jesus than when we came in as a result of us leaning into this time of teaching. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, This morning, to help this be as clear as possible and help us understand some important things concerning our hearts, biblically speaking, I want to ask and answer three questions this morning. And here's the first question. All right, very simple. What is the heart? What is the heart? Biblically speaking, what is the heart? We, we know what we mean when we talk physically about the heart, you know, the muscle in your chest that's beating, that's pumping blood to different parts of your body, helping you stay alive. But the Bible talks about the heart in a deeper way. The English word heart that we use today comes from the Greek word that we find in the New Testament called cardia. It's where we get the word cardiologist, uh, of course, a heart doctor. Uh, The word cardia literally means this. So biblically speaking, this is what the Bible is talking about when it talks about the heart. It literally means the center of our emotions, the center of our desires, the center of our feelings. In other words, the heart of man is the core of who you are. It's the innermost man. It's the innermost woman. It's the seat of our affections. It's the spiritual center of a person's life. It's where our desires dwell and our emotions reside and our feelings live. All right. So when people say, follow your heart, what they're really saying is follow your emotions, follow your feelings, follow your desires, which brings us to our next question. What's wrong with that? All right. Because a lot of people would say, okay, I get that. All right. That's not a very controversial idea for in a lot of circles to to talk about the heart as the spiritual center of a human being. I get that. It's spiritual center of our being. It's, the, it's where my emotions reside and our feelings reside. And a lot of people will follow that up with a question, what's wrong with that leading me? Well, that leads us to our next question. What is wrong with the heart? What is wrong with the heart? According to worldly wisdom, nothing. According to worldly wisdom, the heart is something good to follow. But according to biblical revelation, it's the furthest thing possible from good advice that you want to give somebody. And here's why. Several places we go in the Bible to look at this. But Jeremiah, just in a very clear way, describes the human heart for us. Jeremiah 17, 9, it says this. This is what God's word says. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? Who can understand it? In other words, it's very, very confused. It's very confusing. Don't see anybody stitching that on a pillow anywhere. Jeremiah chapter 17, 9. Don't see that stamped on a coffee mug. Don't hear any Disney princesses singing about the heart like that. But this is the truth that the Bible reveals to us about our hearts. That the heart's deceitful, it's sick, and it's confused. So according to the Bible, my heart is not a safe guide. It's not a solution to helping me find my way through this world and to make good, right decisions. Our heart is never the solution. It's actually the problem area. Our heart is the problem that needs to be remedied. And now there's a mountain of biblical evidence that we could list off this morning to support what Jeremiah says right there. But let's just stick with Jeremiah. Let's stay in his book. You know, Jeremiah had a difficult task on this earth when he was ministering. 
He's a prophet that ministered four or five hundred years before Jesus was born. And his task, his ministry, was to preach to God's people and to forewarn them about the impending disaster of the coming judgment of God on Judah if the nation wouldn't repent. And nobody listened to him. He preached his heart out. And no one would ever listen to him, but he remained faithful, which is a great lesson for those of us who are serving in ministry this morning. Maybe you serve in a Bible Connect group. Maybe you are leading some kind of ministry. And there's weeks, there's times when you can get discouraged because not a lot of people are showing up. Listen, we don't measure success like the world measures success. And we learned that from Jeremiah. Ministry success is measured ultimately by faithfulness. So when you feel discouraged, learn from Jeremiah. Double down on being faithful. Leave the results in the hands of God. But he was faithful. They reject his message. Judah's taken into captivity. And in Jeremiah chapter 9, we find out why in verse 14. It says in verse 14, Jeremiah chapter 9, it says this. The people have stubbornly followed their own hearts and have gone after Baal's. So that was the problem with the people in the Old Testament. People in the northern kingdom, people in the southern kingdom. Both of them experienced the judgment of God in the form of captivity and exile because of it. And the reason why they ran into problems was because of their heart. Following their heart. Following your heart isn't the solution. It's always the problem. It's what led the Israelites into paganism and syncretism. It's what led them to turn their backs on a good God, to worship false gods. It's what ultimately leads to their destruction as a nation. What leads to it? Heart following. And it's what continues to lead us as human beings down crooked paths, deadly, destructive paths in our life. The Bible shows us clearly it's dangerous to follow your heart. And yet that's the predominant idea you hear in culture today. You see people applying it to their moral choices. You see people applying it to their relationships, within their marriage relationships. It's how a lot of people make their decisions. They follow their hearts. We see it all over culture. This is a very timely message today. It's, you know, it's what people are taught to do with their sexuality in our culture today. Just follow your heart. You really want, you just do what you want to do, right? You be what gender you want to be. You make the choices that you want to make. You go with your gut. Nothing wrong with that. That's celebrated. What are your feelings telling you to do? What are your emotions telling you to do? What direction are they leading you? Follow your heart. It sounds very poetic. It even sounds, and we've got to be careful, some of it sounds true. And you say, well, why? Because we're raised in this culture, this Disney movie culture that says you've got a nice little cotton candy, precious little sweetheart that will only lead you to places that are magical. The Bible here, the revelation of God, what it does is it, in the middle of all that noise, it lifts the hood on our life and it shows us what our heart really is. We're born with a dead heart, a heart that's blind to the things of God, that resists the things of God, a heart that's bent in on itself, that's self-centered, that's deceptive. It deceives us into seeing things that aren't really there. It's wicked. It's an unsafe, untrustworthy, terrible guide for our lives. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So think about that. That's what God's Word tells us. That's the description it gives us of the heart. So if that's true, right? When we give people the advice to follow their heart, when we listen to that advice from a culture, follow your heart, think about what they're telling us when they say that. Think about what you're telling someone else when you say follow your heart after you read the description right there in God's Word. You're saying, hey, let this sick and deceitful, wicked thing that needs a lot of help and can be really confusing lead you through life. That's what you're saying. 
My, I have two kids that are in, one, my son's in middle school right now, my daughter's in high school right now, and many of you are raising teenagers, you've raised teenagers, some of you will raise teenagers. It, it's a difficult time of life, and I got one amen there. Uh, it can be a difficult time of life for the teenagers and for parents raising those teenagers. And there's a lot, and, and it's difficult because they're making a lot of decisions. There's a lot of pressures. They're making a lot of decisions that can impact the rest of their life. They need some guidance in these days. Now, what if I sat them down and said, hey, guys, I know middle school and high school, it's difficult. You're going to have some difficult decisions to make. I, I want you to listen to me because I'm your dad who loves you. I want you to always follow every single day of your life someone. There's someone I want you to follow, someone I want you to always obey, someone I want you to always be sensitive to the instruction of, someone that I want you to always listen to the wisdom of, someone who I want you to be, I want, to be the, I want you to supremely be sensitive in your life to their influence over your life. They would be like, wow, that sounds like dad's really serious about us following this person, trusting this person with our decisions and with our life. And they may say, well, Dad, tell us a little more about that person. And I said, sure, let me tell you a little bit more about them. I want you to always, this person I want you to always follow, this person I want you to always listen to, who I want you to always guide you. This person is deceitful above all things. They're desperately sick. They're really, really confused. Who can understand them? You'd be like, that would be terrible advice to give your kids. That'd be one of the most unloving things that you can do. A wise, good father could say, of course, I wouldn't say that, but is that not the bad advice that the world gives us and that at times even well-meaning Christians can give other people? Just follow your heart, follow your feelings, follow your emotions, do what feels right. No, the Bible says following your heart is a really bad, really dangerous, even really deadly idea. Just look back on your life. Look back on your life and think about the decisions that you make that you wish you could go back and do over, that you regret, some of which you're still trying to undo by the power of God at work in your life. Those decisions that you look back on that were just destructive, that you regret. You got there how? You followed your heart. Your heart somehow convinced you in the moment because it's deceitful that that was a good idea. And you can look back and see where it led you. Right? The heart is deceitful, it's wicked, and it's terrible advice to tell someone to follow it. Now, everything up to this point has been bad news. All right, Some of you, if this is your first time with us this morning, you may be thinking, well, this, on a summer day, this kind of sounds like a bummer so far. <laughs> but don't leave, okay? Because if you leave, somebody asks you about how it went today at the church you went to, well, all I know is the pastor just told us we had bad hearts that are deceitful and wicked. There's good news coming. All right, so hang in there. So our heart's sick, yes, our heart's wicked, it's bent in on itself, it's terminally selfish, it's a terrible, foolish, deadly guide for my life. That's the bad news. The good news is it can be fixed. There's a remedy, so which brings us to question number three. What do we do with our heart? What do we do with our heart? Hopefully we've established clearly we don't follow it. We, we've established that. We, what we need is we need to be rescued from it. We don't follow our heart. We actually need a new heart. And the good news is that a new heart is freely available to you this morning. Your wicked heart can be fixed. The good news of the gospel is just that. You can get a new heart. Listen to what Ezekiel, another exilic prophet, said. Contemporary of Jeremiah. Ezekiel uh, chapter 36, 26, and 27. 
And this was uh, God expressing through Ezekiel his promise to his people about the new covenant that would come, which we get to experience on this side of the cross. It says, uh, Ezekiel said this, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And be careful to obey my rules, all right? The the gospel's right there. The good news of the gospel is that it is possible to have a supernatural heart transplant spiritually in your life. It's possible to get a new heart. It's possible, the Bible will say it this way, to be born again, John chapter 4. It's possible to be saved. What that means is... God comes and He makes you alive when you get saved. He takes out a heart of stone. He puts a new heart in you. He puts His heart in you. He puts His Spirit in you that will dwell in you forever so that you're completely reborn. And that happens as a result of repentance and faith in Christ. That happens through repentance and faith in Christ. When you turn away from your sin in repentance and, pl- and look to the cross and place, in the fin- place your faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross, trust in His death and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins. When that happens, you're raised to new life. You become a new creature. As 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, the old passes away. The grace of God floods your life and He gives you a new heart with a new correct focus. A new heart where for the first time you see God's glory in a different way. You see God's glory not as something that threatens you and threatens your self-glory, but becomes desirable. You get a new heart that finds it a joy to praise God. A a joy to magnify Him. A joy to glorify Him. A joy to make His name famous. A joy to live your life for His fame. I get a new heart. That's good news, right? That's the good news of the gospel. Do you have a new heart this morning? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior so that you can receive a new heart, so that you can experience an eternal heart transplant for your life? I pray that you would. Now, if you have and you're a Christian this morning, praise God for that. Rejoice in the gospel. Praise the Lord. But you may be thinking, if you are a Christian, ah, light bulb moment. I get it now. I understand This whole follow your heart thing now. Now that I have a new heart in Christ, what that means is I now have a new and improved heart that now can reliably reliably lead me, right? I can follow my heart, not so fast. This is where Christians can get confused. Never forget this. We're never called to follow our heart. Our heart, this side of heaven, is not meant to lead us. It's meant to be led. As Christians, it is true. Our hearts are eternally indestructible. Our hearts are in the safekeeping of the mighty hand of our sovereign God, but our hearts are a work in progress. And although our heart might not be destructible, it's still corruptible this side of heaven. It's still pollutable, if I can make up a word. And easily influenced. And we can get to thinking wrong. Right? We, we still have something called the flesh. We have fleshly desires. Sinful emotions, sinful feelings that are still swirling within us. We can get to thinking wrong. We have hearts that can lead us astray. We have a heart that can still lead us down paths of destruction. Our hearts can still get us into trouble. Read Romans chapter 7. And hear how the Apostle Paul's wrestling with that in his own life. 
This side of heaven, I never follow my heart. No, I allow my heart to be led by God. Our hearts are not meant to lead us. Our hearts are meant to be led. Now, what does that look like? Now, back to the Proverbs chapter 3. All right, here's the micro message within the bigger message this morning. This is a passage that helps us understand what it looks like for our new regenerate hearts to be led by God. Here in Proverbs chapter 3, the writer of Proverbs, if many of you know this, Proverbs is, a, is wisdom literature. It's a book that's written to help us understand what it looks like to live wisely. And here he's teaching us that the path to wisdom is not found within ourselves in following our hearts. It's found outside of our, ourselves, seeking to be led by our Heavenly Father. Again, it says, what does it say there? In the verses we read this morning, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. He's saying, if you want straight paths and not paths to destruction, can we just, can I just ask that rhetorical question and you can raise your hand in your head? Who wants straight paths over destructive paths? All of us will probably raise our hands. Notice he doesn't say that the way to that is to trust in your heart or to lean on your heart or to acknowledge your heart. He doesn't even say that at all. No, he says you're to trust someone other than you. You're to lean on someone outside of you. You're to acknowledge or know someone other than yourself. The path to wisdom and the life of straight paths is not following our heart, but it's following God with our heart. And these two verses show us what that looks like and it, what it entails. And so I'm going to fire off in a little mini-message three things that that entails. Number one, trust God. It involves trusting God. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. That word trust is a picture of fully trusting and relying vulnerably in God. You students just got back from Snowbird. Some of you climbed up in trees and jumped off of platforms, Right? would have killed you had there not been a cable attached to you or a rope attached to you or a harness attached to you. But you went up and did that crazy thing. Why? Because you trusted that that system would hold you in place. And so you leaped out of the tree and off you went. And you just didn't, you can't just kind of go on the Goliath swing. You have to fully trust in the harness and fly off of that tree and off you go, trusting yourself into those cables and into that harness system. And that's, that's a kind of a good picture for us to understand what it means to trust. He's saying this idea of trust, it's a picture of fully trusting, relying vulnerably in God and His promises and His plans and His word and His direction, not the direction of my heart. And our heart will fight us on that. The one who's most likely to subvert your confidence in God and to woo you to trust in Him or her instead of trusting in God is you, is your heart. Your heart is the one who's competing for your faith. It's your own heart. It's, that, it's your own lingering, selfish, sinful desires within. And today, you can either lean on yourself or you can lean on the Lord. You, you can't do both. And that's why he says here, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then he says, do not lean on your own understanding. I told you we'd move fast. Number two, it involves having a heart that's being led and not a heart that's leading us. It involves humbling ourselves before the Lord. So in this text, he shows us there's an element of humility here. Do not lean on your own understanding. The biggest challenge to an undivided, wholehearted trust in the Lord is the idea, idea that I can figure out some things on my own. That we know best. 
Listen, we are prone to wander, and one of the ways we are prone to wander, even after we come to Christ, and we'll all struggle with this for the rest of our life till we step into the presence of Jesus one day, whether that be through death or His second coming, one way that we all will continue to struggle and the way we wander is having way too much self-confidence. Thinking way too highly of ourselves and our, our intellect and our plans and our ideas and our timetable as to how our life ought to work. And it's a problem. We think way too highly of ourselves. That's a problem in our culture. Uh, one of the larger well-known dating websites reported that when people filled out their profiles for that dating website, um, they would ask them if they considered themselves to be a genius. So you put your name, put your other information, and one of the questions that you had to fill out, do you consider yourself to be a genius? Get this, over 40% said yes. Even though only 1% statistically in the human population is actually a genius. 30% of one gender said they were a genius. 50% of another said that they were a genius. Guess which, 50, guess which one was the 50%? The men, right? Of course, I could have told you that because I'm kind of a genius. Just kidding. We have to be careful how much confidence we put in ourselves. A heart that's being led by God, here's the point here, it requires humility. Humility that says continuously and daily, preaching to my heart, I don't know what's best. I am weak and I'm fallible and I'm done and I'm a disaster and I'm a mess on my own. I don't know best. I don't have what it takes to figure it out in this moment with this choice, with this decision that I'm making. I know that I got to get out of the way. I know that I don't know everything. I know that I don't have it all figured out. I know that my emotions and my desires and my feelings and my inclinations can be wrong. It takes that kind of humility. I know how foolish it is for me to lean simply on my faults and my intelligence and my gut feelings. He's not saying check our brains at the door. He's not saying to not use intellect or common sense or knowledge from experiences that we've had in life. That's not the point. The point is that a humble disciple understands I've got to look outside of just my own personal resources and my own personal strength and how I live my life. A humble person is not a self-reliant person. A humble person, a humble wise disciple whose heart is being led by God, who's not being led by their own heart, is someone who's not self-reliant. They're God-reliant. Number three, having a heart that's being led by God also entails submission to God. Verse six says, in all your ways. Great word to circle there. In all your ways acknowledge Him. Now that word acknowledge right there, if you're reading from the NIV, and I think that's a more clear translation for this word right here, it will say submit. So another way to think about acknowledge there is the word submit. You can read this way. In all your ways, submit to Him. It's the idea here of recognizing God, recognizing the Lord as King over every area of your life, and then seeking for God and His ways and His Word to come to bear on every area of your life. And there's really only one way to do that. And it can't just be me having good intentions. It can't just me be in fleeting moments like going, God, I really want you to reign in my life. God, I really want you to be the king in all areas of my life. God, show me what to do. Because many times we'll vocalize that and we'll even have good intentions to do that, but then we'll turn right around and listen to our heart. So there's really only one way to acknowledge God as God in every area of our life. And that's to take what God has actually said right here in His Word. And what He's written down for us. And to take the full weight of that and to press it into every area of our life every single day. That's Christianity 101. 
That's what it means to follow Jesus. Once we get saved, we spend the rest of our life taking the Bible and making this as a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. We don't, do, we don't use our heart to do that. This is the lamp into our feet, into light into our path. Our heart is not a good flashlight that's reliable. Our heart, even the fleshly desires of our heart, have a tendency of always bending in on ourselves and putting ourselves first. This is the lamp into our feet and the light into our path. If you follow your heart, even as a Christian, it's like going into a dark forest and trying to navigate yourself through that terrain with a flashlight that only shines back in your face. It's not going to work out for you. Submitting ourselves to the Lordship of Christ is submitting ourselves to God's Word and allowing it to be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. In other words, my life is about Him calling the shots, not about my heart calling the shots. There's one I'm acknowledging every step of the way. He gets to say yes. He gets to say no. He's calling the shots. He's at the will. He's at the will. He gets to tell me what to do. So Max has been playing a baseball tournament this week. And he plays for an 8U baseball team. I'm finding that, like, Little League Baseball is just a walking sermon illustration, by the way. But these little 8-year-olds that we got to remember are 8-year-olds. My wife's so good about that. She, like, looks at me while we're trying to whip these guys in the shape. They're 8. They're 8. I got to remember that. <laughs> but we are trying to kind of pound the fundamentals into their head at this age. And many of you have coached baseball. If you don't know anything about baseball, I apologize. Hopefully I'll give you an illustration before we leave that you can connect with. But most of us are familiar with how baseball works. And one of the fundamental things we try to teach them is, is how to run bases properly. All right? And uh, when they're t-ball, you're just trying to get them to go to first base. Right? Sometimes they're running home. You know, they're going all over the place. And even at this age, they, they still need to learn what it looks like to be a disciplined base runner. And the most important thing for them to focus on as a base runner is to focus their mind on two places and on two people. The first base coach and the third base coach. All right, so we're, we're teaching them that and trying to help them to understand that. And so to help them understand that your job when you go to first base is not to get fixated on that ball or anything else. It's to get fixated on your first base coach. And if he's giving you the windmill, you go on to second base. And as soon as you round first base, you're looking to your third base coach. And if he tells you to stop, you stop. If he tells you to windmill, come on, you go. If he tells you to go back, you go back. And there's times where we're doing all of that. Come, go, stop. They look like, those little kids look like squirrel in traffic. Like sometimes they just look confused. But we were, at, earlier in the season there was a game and we were doing really well and, and his little team was winning by a lot, like 15 to like one. And it was late in the game, you know, felt like the game was already over. And one of our boys, we're up to bat, hits a shot to the fence. All the way to the fence everybody's cheering and he rounds first and the coach tells him to go and he rounds second third base coach is telling him to come to third and he gets to he gets to third ready to run home and the coach says stop and he stops he kind of looks confused and just stands there and i was in the dugout which i'll pray for me because that's the assignment they've given me if you spent some time during a full game with eight-year-olds in a dugout i should be getting paid for what i'm doing in the dugout but one of those little kids, they all kind of went, oh, they were all telling him to run, run. But his coach was saying, stop. And he stopped. And one of those little kids looked up at me and said, hey, coach, why did he tell him to stop? And I said, because the coach told him to stop. Now, you know, when that little guy was running to third base, what did he have on his mind? That ball was to the fence. His, on his mind was home run. 
He was ready to round third. He was ready to go home and get himself a home run. That's what his mind was set on. But he had a coach. He had someone outside of himself saying something antithetical to his desires and his emotions and what he wanted to do. If it was up to him and his little heart, he'd be home. He'd have got himself a home run. But he hears a different message that's antithetical to his emotions. Stop. And so he stopped. And you say, well, why did he tell him to stop? Well, it has to do with sportsmanship and those things. And he was trying to damage control, trying not to get run up the score too much. Too much. But he also, but that is important to think about because he saw something that that little guy couldn't see. He saw something that that, he, that that little guy probably couldn't even understand. But regardless, he trusted his coach enough and listened to his coach and obeyed a wiser counsel outside of himself. He let his coach call the shots. And my point is simply this. As we live our lives, to follow your heart means to like with wild abandon, like you're running the bases. You're calling the shots. You're blowing past the signal on first and you're going to second base and you're running through second base and you're ignoring the signal at third and you're going home and you're just doing whatever you want to do. That's a way you can follow your heart or some people follow your heart and you're like the fearful base runner. You run the bases more conservatively. You're the little kid that you're going, go! And he doesn't want to run because he's scared. But either way, either way you're calling the shot. Being a follower of your own heart doesn't mean that you're going to be some hedonistic, wild party animal. It doesn't necessarily have to mean that. You can follow your heart and you can be a very shy, fairly moral person who simply likes to be in charge of your own life. Neither one of those is the path to wisdom that Proverbs lays out for us in Proverbs chapter 3, which is allowing God to call the shots. So I'm rounding first, I got my eyes on Jesus. I'm rounding second, I got my eyes on the Lord. He's calling the shots. I'm rounding third, I'm listening to Him. I'm yielding to His direction for my life through His Word. I'm seeking to acknowledge Him in every area of my life. And the text is clear. When you follow this passage, when you trust in the Lord with all your heart, when you humbly refuse to rely on your own understanding, but confess your need for God and acknowledge Him in all areas of your life, submitting to Him in all things, He leads your heart where? says he will make straight your paths he will make your course of life straight as you follow him that doesn't mean your life's going to be easy not teaching prosperity right here that doesn't mean it's always going to be easy but the path of life will be straight and smoother as it takes you to the destination which ultimately for your life is christ likeness it doesn't mean there won't be pain it does mean you won't self-destruct So as I look outside of myself, as I trust in the Lord, as I refuse to rely on my own understanding and submit my ways, my life to His ways, He makes my life walk down paths that are straight. Which is way better than the crooked, destructive paths that my heart's going to take me down if it's behind the wheel. The heart is a terrible guide. It's easily manipulated, this side of heaven. It's prone toward selfishness. It needs help. It doesn't need to try to help us like to lead our life. It needs help. This week, you are going to face moments of temptation. The enemy wants to destroy your life, steal and kill you and destroy your life. And the twofold strategy that he usually pulls out of his playbook is through accusation and temptation. You're going to be tempted this week. You're going to be tempted 
to sin probably before you even get to your house this afternoon. Maybe even before this service is over. Watch your heart. Because when the enemy tempts you, there are fleshly desires in you that are swirling in your heart that will try to convince you into thinking that that momentary pleasure that you're being tempted to take part in is more satisfying than Christ. And you let your heart behind the wheel, it'll deceive you into thinking that and it'll take you down a dangerous path that you just promised yourself last week you'd never go down again. Because my heart's deceitful. It's, it's corruptible. It's a liar. It's selfish. And it wants what it wants. He's working in me. One day I'll have a heart in heaven that I can follow. That'll be glorified and perfect. It'll be just like Christ. But until then I have a heart that can be easily influenced. And in moments of temptation will try to convince me that it's a good idea to go down that path because there's still this proneness in my heart to want what it wants to turn in on itself have you guys tried to diet before anybody and you know how i'm talking about when you try to diet and you're like determined like this is it this is the year i'm going to die i'm going to cut out all the carbs i'm resolved no more donuts no more ice cream no more debbie cakes no more sweets, I am resolved. And then what, do you, what happens like 24 hours later? 24 minutes later? Is your, your mind and your heart come in conflict because somebody in your house decides to cook a fresh batch of cinnamon rolls or cookies? And in that moment, now what does your heart want? You were so resolved. But now what does your heart want? Well, maybe there's a better plan here. Let me give myself a little freedom here. The heart always wants what it wants. It will deceive us into getting what it wants. And listen, our hearts will lead us into much more dangerous and destructive situations than just you breaking your diet and eating a cinnamon roll. It will lead you back into the night of sin, down paths that will bring ruin and regret and catastrophic damage to your life. Even as a Christian. He knows, the enemy knows he can't touch your soul. So he's going to spend, for the rest of your life, he's going to do everything he can to destroy areas of your life. That he can destroy your family, your testimony, your reputation. There's some of us in this room who are flirting with sin, headlong in sin. Why? Because your heart is behind the wheel. Your heart is a terrible guide. It's going to destroy you. Repent of that sin. Don't wait a a moment longer. Confess it. Get away from it. Denounce it. Turn your back on it and stop following your heart and follow the creator of your heart. Trust in his word. Stop leaning on your own understanding. Surrender to his good design and will for your life. That's outlined right here in scripture. Trust it. Follow it. Plan his word in your heart. Guard your heart. Fight those deceitful desires of your heart with His Word. Every day, you've got to thrust the sword of the Spirit in those desires, not follow them. And for some of us, that's why you're in financial problem, like in a financially problematic situation. Maybe that's why you're in debt and you can't stop swiping a credit card because your heart's behind the wheel. You're following your heart. 
This is why some of you continue in a pattern of secret sin. Because your heart continues to lead you. This is why some of us have relationship issues. You're following your heart. This is why for some of us you're worried and there's anxiousness that has gripped your life because you're following your heart. You're following your feelings. Instead of basing your walk with God on what's true, stop following your heart. That's the message this morning. Trust and follow the Lord who's the creator of your heart, who's the sustainer of your heart, who's working in your heart and one day will perfect your heart. But between now and then, what we do is we allow Him to lead it. We trust in Him with all of our heart. We lean not on our own understanding. In all our ways we acknowledge Him. And He'll make straight our paths. Let's pray. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Christ, you can have a new heart today. Right where you're seated, you can experience a supernatural, spiritual heart transplant that God can perform. And it's made available to you through what we call the gospel. It's the good news. I give it to you in an ABC form. Number one, it involves you admitting your sin. Admitting that you got the corrupt, wicked heart that Jeremiah describes, that it's in all of us. With you admitting that your heart is the problem, that your heart is dead and sinful, and that it's separating you from God who's holy. So it's agreeing with Scripture that your heart is sinful and that without it being remedied, you would spend eternity in a place called hell experiencing the wrath and judgment of God on your life because of sin. That's the bad news. The good news is that it can be fixed. Are you willing to admit your sin? That's A. Number two, it can be fixed through believing the gospel. You're looking back on the pages of Scripture that documents what 2,000 years ago God did. He did not leave us in our sin with our broken hearts. He sent His Son to come and live the perfect life with a perfect heart that we don't have in our place. And then He died a horrific death on the cross, absorbing the wrath of God in our place. Then He rose from the dead, conquering the grave you can't conquer. And this morning, if you'll believe that that counts for you, and in humility, you'll bow your knee before God and say, God, I receive the finished work of Christ on the cross to take care of my heart problem, my sin problem. I ask you to save me. I repent of my sin. I trust in you. I bow to you as Lord today. And then see if you'll confess him as Lord. Admit, believe, confess him as Lord. He'll save you today. You may be in a situation where you're like, man, I believe what you're saying. There's just so much about Christianity and the Bible I don't know about. That's okay. Do you understand you're a sinner? Do you understand that there's a Savior available for you? And are you willing to receive Him as your personal Lord and Savior today for your salvation? Understanding that in humility, just the simplicity of it, you can be saved. I'll be down front. If you have questions about that, I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to help you understand what it looks like to follow Christ. A Christian who is here, don't follow your heart. 
Is there an area in your life where you're following your heart right now? Repent of that. Fix your eyes on your master. He calls the shots. Confess your sin, repent of your sin, rejoice in the grace that you'll experience in that moment. His mercies are new every day. And then refix your eyes on him and make a commitment this morning, whatever area it is in your life. I can't look into your life. That you're done with following your heart there, that you want God to lead your heart. And you're willing to trust him and not lean on your own understanding and acknowledge him in there.